0: Will you please turn your Bible with me to Matthew chapter 7? If you're a guest with us today, welcome. It's great to have you. If you're a guest online, welcome as well. Um, I forgive me for being terrible at responding to messages. If you're online. I will try to get to them <laughs> as they come. Matthew chapter seven. Matthew chapter seven. We've been doing a series in the book of First Peter, and we're going to jump around a little bit in our Bible today between a few different parts of the word as we are walking through different things. But Matthew chapter 7 is a passage in which Jesus is talking to a collected group of people. Uh, Pharisees are among them and people who are just looking for life in God. And so he is speaking to all these people. And in Matthew 7, he's giving them uh, a bunch of great lessons and different things. And we're going to find that there's a tie here from Matthew 7 back to 1 Peter where we're looking. So we're going to start in Matthew 7 because Peter, who is a disciple of Jesus, was hearing Jesus say these words. And so as Peter is thinking and writing his letter in 1 Peter, and he's writing this letter to Christians in Asia Minor, which would be modern-day Turkey, he is explaining to them about what Jesus said because he was there eyewitnessing all the things that Jesus spoke about. And so uh, this is not just context for us. We're looking at it kind of in the order that Peter looked at it, too, so he can understand The passage today. So let's look in Matthew chapter 7. We're going to start with verse 24. Matthew 7 verse 24. It says this, Jesus is speaking. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And when the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house, it fell, and great was the fall of it. Praise the Lord for his word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts, that we would hear from you today. Lord, your word says that in the new covenant, that you write your word, your law in our heart and our mind, Father, open our hearts that you would do surgery to us, that you would speak to us, that we would know your hand at work and found our lives upon your word and not just upon thoughts and feelings. Father, we want to be established and built on your rock and not building any houses on the sand. So help us, Lord, to follow you while we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Before we continue, I just want to say, Christian and Allison, awesome to see you guys too. I couldn't see you in the light back there very well. Uh, Christian and Allison are about to get married. That's some good news. We love you guys. It's good to see you. And Allison, congratulations again on graduation. And Christian, too. It's big news. Praise the Lord. So this passage that Jesus is speaking, he tells everyone that if they hear these words and they do them, they're going to be established. They're going to be built upon the rock. But if they don't do them, they're going to be as those who build their house upon the sand. One time I was camping. Um, My dad is not a camper, if you've ever met him. His idea of camping is really roughing it at the Hotel Six. And so so my dad's a camper, and we go out there. And we went with another family in the church as I was growing up. And we went to Elephant Rocks. You ever been to Elephant Rocks? There's the streams. And it's a pretty cool place, right? So we went down there. And my dad, because he is not a camper, uh, we had bought, at some point along the way, a pop-up camper. So one of those trailers. You put the feet down, and you're like off the ground. And so it's like pseudo hotel camping. And so our friends that we were with, they had their tent, and they had the trusty air mattresses. And so they filled up their air mattresses, and they did their tent. And we had this really cool camp spot, and it was uh, kind of backed up into these woods, and there was a stream, and it was really cool. And so we were uh, having a great time. We had dinner. And as we had dinner, these big clouds came rolling in. And so they were dark, and they looked a little ferocious. And next thing we know, we go to sleep. And after, you know how it takes a little while to kind of settle down the kids and everybody goes to sleep. So everybody's sleeping. And suddenly, we're woken up with flashes of lightning. And it is storming. The wind is blowing. The camper that we're in is rocking back and forth in the wind. And then the rain starts coming down. And you know how when it just comes down in sheets and you can't see through it? It was like that. So the rain is just a deluge. And I remember because I was always six I was born at six foot, so it was really weird. <laughs> so even though I was young, I was on, we had this like little table that folded onto a bed and it was the longest bed. So I was, on, I was on that one. So my siblings were on one end, my parents were on the other end, I was in the middle of the camper. And I had a window right next to me, so I opened the window just a little bit and water's coming in, you know? And I can see flashlights in the tent and the tent is, I mean, shaking back and forth. And what happened was the stream had started to flood. And those water beds, those air mattresses became flotation devices <laughs> inside the tent. So thankfully, the water's not like sweeping flu- through. But it was enough that the air mattresses were, they were literally floating in their own tent. And so they were trying to get the door open without everything just washing out, because they would lose all their stuff, to try to get their kids to the car. And I remember my mom and dad talking. And my mom's like, should we go out there and help them? And my dad's like, they're on their own. <laughs> I, what can I do? He's not a kid. But he's like, well, what can we do? They're going to have to get to their car. God bless them. We'll help them in the morning. I don't know what to tell you. And it was was scary. It was a lot of water. You know, when water comes fast, it's amazing because if you are not anchored in place, that water is going to push you. It's going somewhere. And you can imagine, middle of the night, kids, your air mattresses are floating. There's no foundation there. It's a scary situation. Jesus is telling the people as they're listening to him, and they're mostly there for the free food, (laughs) honestly, because Jesus comes on the scene. Suddenly, everybody's eating. It's wonderful. And he's telling them about things. And he says, if you obey these words of mine, you'll be like a man whose house has a real foundation. When the water comes, it's not going to wash away. But if you don't obey, you're going to be as those who are on the sand. And when the water comes, it carves out that sand, and your whole house falls down, and great is the crash of it. This is a difficult passage, because in this passage, Jesus is also talking about the golden rule. He's talking about all these things that we, that we know of Jesus saying, that are famous passages of Jesus saying things. And he's even just told them before this, not everyone in verse 21 who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus is turning everything upside down on its head. And here's Peter in the crowd. Peter was a fisherman. Peter came into the kingdom seeing God's miraculous hand on his business. Peter's out fishing. Jesus calls to him from the shore. Hey, try your net on that side. He says, hey, man, we've been out here all night. We know we're not going to catch anything. You're being ridiculous. He says, do it anyway. Fine. And they throw out their nets, and the harvest is so great of fish that the nets are breaking as they're trying to pull them into the shore because they can't get them in the boat. And out of this fruitfulness, out of this miracle, Peter comes stumbling up to this guy, Jesus, and he says, who are you? And Jesus says, follow me. And he leaves everything to follow Jesus. And now he's standing here, listening in the crowd. He's not just there for the food. He had the food. He had the big miracle. And he walked away from all of it because he wanted the bread of life that came out of Jesus' mouth, the word of God. And now Jesus is saying, even people who are doing miraculous things can have no part in him. So here's Peter scratching his head. What, What could this mean? How can it be that doing this word will build my house on the rock when some people who are doing great things, casting out demons even, have no part in Jesus? It's a difficult thing. Turn your Bible with me, please. 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter is toward the end of your Bible. 1 Peter chapter 4. So now here's Peter later. He's walked with Jesus many years. He's seen the crucifixion. He's seen the resurrection. It's changed even his own life in dynamic and drastic ways. And in 1 Peter 4, he says this, verse 1. He says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the the time in the flesh, no longer for the human passions, but for the will of God. The the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality and passions and drunkenness and orgies and drinking parties and lawless idolatry. With respect to these, they are surprised when you do not join in with the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead. Praise the Lord for his word. What's, Paul, what's Peter talking about? As he's talking here, he's saying that Christians who know God, who've seen Christ's suffering, who have seen the whole drawn-out gospel of what, who God is and that he died and rose again, they should not live as those who are Gentiles have lived. And what, what he's really saying is, don't live like the world lives the things that they give into all the time. And I'm telling you right now, if you turn on Netflix, you can see how the world lives. You know, I, my kids watch a lot of kids' shows, and we, I'm not against Netflix. Hear me, just TVs are not like of the devil. Having said that, what you watch gets in you, right? And I've noticed that a lot of the shows that my kids like to watch, little sitcom kind of shows that are made for kids, um, the parents are so stupid. They're so stupid that the kids are really the ones in charge. And the parents are so backwards in how they do things that they don't know how to deal with conflict, they don't know how to lead their family, they don't know how to uh, get out of bad situations. So the kids don't even come to the parents when there's a problem. They just find their other kids that they can talk to, or they go find other trusted people. And it's funny how that comes out in their attitudes later. If you watch Netflix for just a couple minutes, any show, you're going to see exactly what attitude the world wants you to have. And sometimes it's not just watching shows that we know we shouldn't watch. You know, the things that spring to mind are like, whoa, Christians never watch that. It's not always those shows. Sometimes it's the kids' sitcoms. Just how do they deal? How do the families interact? What does it look like? You know what's shocking to me is, especially in our culture now, there is no faithfulness anymore. Faithfulness to anything. To jobs, to to your workers, to marriage, to any of these kind of things. To friends, everything is just about consumerism. What can you get out of it? And that becomes the ethos of the whole world. Really, sin at its root is selfishness. When we talk about sin, it's not just disobeying God. It is disobeying God. It's not just coming against his commandments. Sin at its root is selfishness. It's Adam and Eve in the garden, and they look at the fruit, and they say, I know God said, don't eat that fruit, but it looks really good, and I want it and then they took it. And we see that in little children, don't we? You know, you don't have to teach a kid to be selfish. Isn't that amazing? My youngest, we have five kids. I take your prayers, they'll come. <laughs> we have five kids. Our youngest will turn two next month in like three weeks. And um, she is super, you know, crazy cute and she's wonderful, right? And she's the best. And I've noticed in the last like two months, because she's the youngest of five, she has learned the fists of fury move. So when something does not go her way, she'll shout "Mine or no!" and man, she comes in swinging. She has no no holds barred. She is going for it. So no! And just I mean, she's youngest of five. Like I get it on one hand. Slash, I'm like, whoa, that was pretty good. And but not really because that's not good. But I didn't have to teach her how to not share. I didn't have to teach her how to be disobedient. I didn't have to teach her that when she doesn't get her way. And she wants the chocolate muffin, and we don't say no because we're not having chocolate right now. How a tantrum starts, and how to manipulate, and how to change. And isn't that wild? And it's like that because this is how the world lives, and this is what sin is. It's selfishness, and it's in every person from our birth. But the truth is that the Lord himself is the solution We're saying it this morning, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, not just in means of how to live a moral life. Because here's Peter hearing all these great messages of Jesus, all these nuggets of wisdom that he's giving everybody as he's handing out the fish and the bread, and they're so excited to eat the meal. And they're hearing it, but boy, they fail at doing those things. And Jesus even turns all those things on their head, not only by saying that those who do these great spiritual things may not even know him, But he also says things like, if you even look on a woman with lust, you're committing adultery. If you call a person in your heart a fool, you're in danger of the fires of hell. Why? Because you're not exemplifying the character of God as the image bearer that he made you. He made you to be a governor of the whole earth with him, to represent him. And from birth comes this selfishness. And all after the garden, all after that first selfish act. And it's even those small things, even the status of our heart, that puts us at odds with God. What's our hope? What can we do? Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter begins addressing the elders, but he's still addressing the whole church in chapter 5. And he says in verse 6, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brothers throughout the whole world. And after you have suffered a little while, the god of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in christ will himself restore confirm strengthen and establish you to him be all the dominion forever and ever amen the overarching message of our culture is not just selfishness but also is you can be whatever you want to be and it's not a bad message for kids in t- in terms of reaching for dreams It's wonderful. Maybe we should reach for opportunities instead of dreams sometimes. But the reality is, the culture is telling us not only is it okay to be selfish, and you should get what's yours, but also the way to attain it is to do whatever you have to do. Be all you can be. Make yourself better. And if you strive hard enough or manifest it, you will attain those things. Peter, on the other hand, tells us, After we've suffered a little while for the sake of Christ, that God himself, who has called us to his eternal glory in Christ, he restores, confirms, strengthens, and establishes us. If we live our lives trying to do it ourselves, that we're going to establish ourselves and, and have this foundation that God's given us, we are in danger of walking toward Christ but never in him. These are the people who even do these great things. And Jesus says, I don't know you. Go away from me, those who do these deeds of lawlessness. They're trying to use God's name as opposed to actually walk toward God. At the end of the day, we don't trust that we have enough and we can do it. We trust that the Lord is faithful, that he is the one who establishes us. This last word in verse 10, establish, is a fantastic word. Um, I don't often use these Greek words, but going back to the original language is really helpful here. The reason for that is because Jesus uses that same word in Matthew chapter 7. And this word is themolios, and it means to be grounded, established, lay a basis for, or set on a foundation. This word establish, that God will establish you, is a building term. It's a building term in terms of construction, that God is constructing us. He is grounding us. He's establishing us. He is setting on us a foundation. You know, God has a plan for you that's beyond just you being happy. And happy is good, isn't it? I would much rather be happy than sad. And I would much rather you be happy than sad. But our culture, again, is saying not only be selfish, not only can you do it, but the goal is just your happiness. And it starkly compares to what the Bible says, because the Bible's contrast is that God is establishing us really for his happiness. In fact, turn with me into 1 Peter chapter 2. Here's what Peter says about us, First, chap, first, first Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might, may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And then he tells them to go on and, and be aliens and strangers in this world, not to conform. Really the same message we heard earlier. When I was uh, in high school, I had a Bible teacher. And I'm racking my brain to remember his name, and I can't remember it, but that's OK. And he was a fantastic guy, and he was really a pastor at heart, I think. So he taught this Bible class, and he instructed us in the Word, and it was, really, it was a great class, and I really enjoyed it. But always, he had these little kind of life lesson times. And he told us a story one time about uh, his high school days. And he, uh, he was dating this girl in high school, and they were, um, she was older than him. So he was a junior, and she was a senior. And so uh, he had asked her to prom, and she was all excited about it and all this kind of stuff. And uh, somebody had sat down with him and said, uh, in the church, like a youth pastor, and said, hey, you need to just understand the pressures of prom and be prepared. And so they talked it through, and he said, I made a decision that I was going to live my life the way God wanted me to live it, in that office with that youth pastor. So then prom night comes. And this girl, she's a senior, uh, doesn't know the Lord. He was a new Christian, the, the guy. Um, first Christian in his family, didn't come from a Christian family. And so the girl, they go to the prom and they're having a great time. And at one point, she pulls him aside and she shows him a hotel key. And she goes, hey, I have this hotel key. I'm, I'm, I'm ready, let's go to the hotel. And he said, uh, he said you know, I." I'm not going to do that. And she said, "What are you talking about?" And he said, "I'm not. I'm not going to do that." And she said, "Well, I have the hotel key. Like, what are you? T- this is prom, and I'm a senior. What are you talking about?" And he said, "Listen, I got it. I know you're upset with me. I'll take you home right now." And she said, "No, you won't." And she went home with her friends or whatever. And so he had this big drama, and of course they broke up, and all these kind of things happened. And he said, you know, it was really funny, looking back now as an adult, as a junior in high school, when I thought I knew everything, and how God saved me from bad decisions by sitting in an office beforehand and having a foundation. And the foundation was saying, I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to step up for him. And whatever comes, this is the decision. Isn't it funny sometimes how in life we can be feeling really strong? But then all of a sudden, a temptation comes or whatever comes, and it just throws you for a loop. Isn't it funny how you think, man, I'm just, I'm good? And usually, oftentimes, middle of the night, it's like sleeping on a waterbed, and all of a sudden a flood comes, and you're just floating there on an air mattress. The reality is that God himself is the one who establishes us. He themelioses us. He grounds us. He establishes us. He lays a basis for us. He puts a foundation in us. And we can try all the time to say, you know what? I'm going to seek my own happiness. I'm going, to, I'm going to try to make my own goals. I can be strong enough. If I just make these good decisions, if I set my mind ahead of time, I know that I can do it. But you know, the, the Bible teacher guy, his testimony was not, man, that decision, since I made it ahead of time, was good. His testimony was, I had already confronted this, and the Lord was with me. And when I was in that moment, and now she's handing me the key, I had already fought this battle because he was already fighting it for him. You see, sometimes we try to uh, fight sin and we try to make ourselves better and we try to be the best we can be and do the right things. And really, we're just giving into the same message that the world has. When Peter's message is that God himself, he's the one who establishes us. He's the one who builds us on a foundation. He's the one who builds us into the rock. Because Jesus even said, you can do all these great things and not be part of me. So how do we become part of him? What do we do? And this is Peter. This is Peter who denied Christ. This is Peter who was ready to do anything for God. And then at the first moment that that hardship came and the cross came and he didn't know what was happening, you know what he did? He just went back to his former life. He just walked away and started fishing again. This is Peter who was full of vigor and full of excitement and full of all these things. And then when the moment came, it just all fell apart. But this is also Peter. Who God met. This is also Peter who remembered the call of God from the beach. This is also the Peter who saw Christ die on the cross and then was one of the first at the tomb. This is also the Peter who actually walked into it. This is the Peter who, hearing the word of God, stepped out onto the waves to walk with Jesus. This is the same Peter who sunk when he took his eyes off Christ. This is the same Peter who was not perfect, who could not establish himself. This is the same Peter who went to a cross upside down for Jesus. That his life ended in martyrdom upside down on a cross because he didn't want to die and suffer the same way that the Lord did. This is Peter who went from a guy denying Christ to one who's preaching the first message that's bringing in the first harvest of Christians in the world. This is the Peter who would be faithful unto death. How does he do that? He doesn't do it because he's strong enough. He doesn't do it because he's good enough. He's a fisherman. He's not. Harvard-trained? He doesn't have all these degrees and honors. He's not rich. He's probably not the most handsome. He's just Peter. But he's Peter who heard the call of God. He's Peter who's reminding us that it's the Lord himself, the God of glory. He's the one who establishes us. And that foundation that he establishes us upon is not just doing the right thing. It's not just making the right decision that we're going to just... Be okay, and if I decide not to sin, then I won't sin. It's not those things. Instead, it's Christ himself that we're established on Christ and in Christ and knowing him, and that he is the goal, he is the life, he is the way, he is the truth, he's everything. And our whole lives now point to him, and we give ourselves to him and say, Lord, I cannot establish myself, but you can, and we trust Jesus. When our first baby was born, Nora, she was a uh, little... And um, I had it in my mind that I would change all the diapers. And so I wanted to be a good husband and a good dad, and I was going to change all the diapers. (laughs) And I got to like the fifth one. I don't even know. And um, you know, here's the thing they don't tell you when you have a baby. You're exhausted. Like the moms, you're definitely exhausted. Dads, just get ready for exhaustion too, because it just comes. And so I'm changing this diaper. And I had lifted up the baby's legs and slid the diaper under her bottom. And this popping sound happened, which was her going potty on me. And the force of that potty shot up my sleeve to my elbow. And I panicked. I, pan- I didn't know, hey, Lisa, help me. Hey, what? hey, Lisa. I didn't know what to do. It, just, it was just, and she just looked at me like, hey, Dad, what's wrong with you, newborn? I, I, was, I was lost. In the first five days, I was lost as a dad. Here's what's funny. How do you get established as a family? built on a foundation, in a marriage, in a family? How does that happen? When a potty accident can derail you. When a night without sleep makes you snippy with your spouse. When there's temptations and junk everywhere, and the world is telling you, just do whatever makes you happy. All the time. And the truth of the matter is that God graces us. He establishes us. And we look to him who's the chief shepherd. We look to Jesus, that he is our life. He is our establishment. He's our foundation. He's our rock. And if we're clinging to him, not and doing everything he says, yes, but doing it out of a heart of gratitude because we're holding on to him and we're following him and he's filled us with his Holy Spirit. And now out of us comes this power to do all that he's commanded us to do. It's in that that we find this grace that God is using us and establishing us. You know what it means to be established? It means that you can hold weight. And here's the amazing part about being established. Peter tells us, the God of all grace, he'll restore you. He'll confirm you. He'll strengthen you. And he'll establish you. And in that establishment, it's not just you being strong for the sake of you. It's you being strong for the sake of all the things that God will place upon you. That your foundation is strong because you are in the foundation. It's like having kids their whole life. Isn't it so amazing that babies cannot live without parents? Think of a lion, think of a deer. They walk immediately. Human babies, years, cannot be self-sufficient. They will not survive without parents. And in the same way, God has called you to be a foundation, to be established in him upon the rock of his foundation, that he would lay on top of you the weight of baby Christians together being built up into this royal priesthood for God, into a dwelling place for the Lord. It's a good thing. It's what Peter understood. It's what Peter knew and why he was walking out all these things and why he's writing this letter to all these Christians to say, stand for a little while through the suffering because God is doing it. Because he's the one and he's our hope. God's goal is building and our identity is in Christ. When I was, uh, I was in the Army years ago when I was fitter in a different time. And, um, and I went to Iraq in 2006. And when I was there, right before we left, we went through training, and I, I was in a weird unit. And uh, we ended up having a short order mission. And so what that means is um, I had lost some soldiers to other guys. I had about 45 soldiers were mine that I was in charge of. I was supposed to deploy. I had to have 33 was my minimum number to deploy. And some other things came up. And I had to give away some of my guys this other unit. I had 13 soldiers on a Thursday. On a Friday, I got an order, you're going to Iraq in 45 days. By Friday night, I had 33 soldiers. And I had basically 30 days after all the other stuff to train them to go. And we were a brand new unit. And so I got a bunch of privates in. And one private, let's call him uh, Jimmy. Jimmy was a, a good guy, young guy. he's excited. Um, he really wanted to do well. He was a fast runner. You know, all those things are good in the Army. Those kind of, you know, back when I used to do those things. And, uh, and, and Jimmy was doing a really good job. And during that 45 days, his leader had to go away to this little training thing because I needed him certified on something to be able to go to Iraq. And so his, uh, his sergeant went away. And Jimmy started acting really weird, really weird. And we went out, we were stationed in Fort Polk, Louisiana, which is basically a swamp also the armpit of the United States, unfortunately. And Fort Polk is just swampy and gross. And its I'm telling you, 5 AM, you're standing in formation, just standing there, just sweating. It's so hot. It's humid all the time. Um, It was the climate most like Vietnam. So everybody went to Vietnam, trained at Fort Polk first to go over to Vietnam. So it's just its that feel. And so there we are, and we're doing this training. And uh, Jimmy comes up to me, and he looks bad. And we're out in the field. I mean, we, My gear weighed about 80 pounds that I wore every day. And so he was a gunner, so he's carrying this big machine gun. And he's tired. And um, I said, Jimmy, are you all right? And he looked at me, and he just passed out, hit the ground. I was like, Jimmy! And I ran over, picked him up, got a medic over, put an IV in him, and got fluids. And he started doing better. I was like, man, don't scare me like that, dude. That's, you got to be careful. Like, I need you drinking water. It's like, oh, OK, OK. So we're going. And we were training like 20 hours a day. Just, I mean, this is, we're getting ready to deploy. And um, day two, we're out there, Jimmy comes walking up, like, hey, Jimmy, you all right? Yeah, stumbles, passes out. (laughs) What the heck? He passed out five times in three days. So I pulled him in an office with my, one of the other sergeants who'd been in the Army for a long time, and I sat him down, I said, Jimmy, what's wrong with you? What's going on, man? He goes, my best friend from basic training just got killed in Iraq, I can't go. I can't go, and obviously I'm medically unqualified because if I, can't, if I can't deal with this heat, I can't go to the desert." I said, are you intentionally not drinking water so you pass out? Well, i, I never do that. I said, are you intentionally not drinking water to make yourself pass out? He said, yeah. I said, you're going to hurt yourself, man. And I said, listen, we leave in 15 days. And bottom line, you're going to be on that plane with us because you're here for everybody else. And I'm sorry you're scared, and I'm sorry it's bad. Everybody else is counting on you. And you're going to be on the plane. Do you understand me? And he was like, wanted to pass out. And I said, just so happens that your sergeant's back. And I, he came in. I said, this is the situation. I said, everywhere he goes, you go. Everything he eats, you eat. Every time he drinks water, you drink water. If he shoots at a target, you shoot at a target. If he goes to sleep, you go to sleep. Whatever he does, you do, to the point where like, they basically moved in together for the next 15 days. Everything that that sergeant did, that young private did with him. And I'm telling you, by day two, by day two, his strength was back. And it wasn't just because he was eating. He was lost. He was lost without his leader. He was lost as a young soldier without somebody to take his hand through that dark valley, and through the fear, and through all the stuff, and he turned out to be a great soldier. He needed a sergeant. He needed somebody who could say, you follow me. Stick right on my back. We're going here. And then he could do anything. And I'm telling you right now, we have been in a time where the culture is telling you, you can do anything alone. You're it. You're enough. Be selfish. Get what you want. Put all your work into it. You manifest it. It's yours. It's out there for the taking. And the reality is, the Bible tells us that we are established in Christ. And if you try to do anything without him, you will fail. But in Christ, we have hope and redemption because he died for us. He rose again. He changed us. He filled us with his spirit. He's given us the foundation of himself. And he's putting us into a building where we are connected with other people. And he's establishing you to be a foundation, not to just be the private to follow him around, but that you can be the sergeant to take baby Christians and hold them upon yourself and say, come behind me everywhere I go, you go. What I eat, you eat. What I do, you do. When I speak these words, you speak these words. We're going to read this passage together. This is how children grow, and this is how baby Christians grow. And how will they know unless we tell them? Sometimes I think that we're often duped into this idea that someday God's going to use us. Someday there's going to be this thing for us. And I'm telling you from the word of God, today is the day. He has established you. He has built you upon his foundation to do great works for God. And it doesn't just look like doing well in your career, which is great. It looks like taking people and being the sergeant for them to bring them to Jesus so that they might have the foundation in him as well, not in you built up in Him to know Jesus Christ and His salvation and His gospel because He died for us. He rose again and He is our life. May the Lord Himself restore you, confirm you, strengthen you, and know that you are established in Jesus if you believe in Him because He is the way, the truth, and the life. Can I ask the musicians to come forward? Let me pray for you and then we're going to dismiss. Father, thank You for your presence with us. Lord, I pray that you will help us to see you and to root ourselves deep into you, that we would do all that you commanded us to do, but more than that, Father, that we would know you. You are our source and you are our life, you are our everything. And so, Father, as we come before you today, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen and establish and restore every person who's here. Every person watching online, Lord, let them know your hand to root them into Christ. That you are using them to bear the weight of even new disciples that you are bringing in through your harvest. Father, use us for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Build us up that we might serve you well. May you know the great favor of our Father. May you know the rule of the Son. And may you know the power of the Holy Spirit as he's using you and putting his word in you. Be blessed. Let's worship together.